Bay. This episode we're going to entitle Leading and Organizations. So we've got, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight burning questions that we'll tackle here in this episode. And they all um, are geared towards leadership situations as well as working in kind of a more organizational context. Our first question is, what events need to occur in order for a manager of an establishment to have a perfect influence on his or her coworkers? Well, I think the reality here is that we're never going to have a perfect um, scenario that just isn't going to occur. And those coworkers are all varying and differing. So what we want to understand here is that this isn't a set it and forget it. It's a constant Um, understanding and application of the theory. And in this case, you know, Cialdini's work is probably the area of influence that we would use those principles. And again, principles are kind of like those guideposts, you'll hear me say that, or the frame that helps us um, get more of that. It's It's not going to be perfect. There is no perfectionism. It's always a work in progress. So the thing that we want to be thinking about there is the idea of reciprocity, the give and the get, Um, the commitment and consistency. So doing the same things over and over again, that will help you influence um, the social proof and um, leveraging your authority, uh, thinking about liking and and the reality of scarcity. Those are all the the different constructs that we want to be leveraging to help us um, identify with others. um, And then that helps increase our ability to influence now, as leaders, we want to be mindful, too, of what are we influencing for and towards? Um, how are we leveraging our authority and and consistently looking at those elements as well? Because um, if we lose that trust and it kind of then it comes back to that element of that uh, of how, why, um, you know, the confidence and the competencies that we're showing to build that trust. So encapsulating all of those things is also the elements of trust. This next question is, if everyone was able to react without emotions first, would there be better outcomes? Maybe, maybe not. Um, emotions play a big role into how we think and what motivates us and what gets us passionate and um, what ignites us to take some action or to react to something. So the elements of it is to do an and both. So being able to understand the emotion, where it's coming from, why it's coming out, um, what does it mean to us? And then also be able to understand its potential impact on the, um, the outcomes. And I think, you know, with the virus uh, and this episode coming out right before the holidays, and the second wave is something we could be thinking about. So for me, there's a lot of emotion around wanting to get the family together. Um, and then there's the rational as a result, as a result, it could be the rationalization is like, well, the, you know, the probabilities and the risk, you know, assessment is fairly low that someone could get sick. But at the same time, if I'm thinking like that and everybody else is thinking like that, then we aren't going to get better. And so, um, then I need to look at the outcome and I need to look at the data of what we're seeing in the community and what is my role in the community um, to 
you know, flatten the curve. And so, you know, while my emotion is I want everybody to get together and I want, you know, all of those things, I know that that could have an impact on the outcome. And so I'm separating the emotion by acknowledging it, running myself through it, looking at the data, assessing it. And even though I still believe that there's a, a likelihood that, you know, no one's going to get sick or this, that, the other thing, I am going to sacrifice and, and do, uh, we're not going to do our Thanksgiving um, with our group this year with the hope and that we're going to play our part. And even if it's a small part, even if it wasn't going to cause an outcome of, of spread, us amplifying it and doing our part and everybody else doing their part, that's how we get things under control. So it's looking at the parts in the whole, it's acknowledging the rationale, it's looking at the data and the science. So it's never one thing or the other, it's an and both and a compilation of how much you factor in emotion, how much you factor in the outcomes. So um, it's a complex, you know, it's complexity. And that's why, you know, we do the work that we do to get better as leaders so that we can make or help guide people through better decisions, which brings us into our next question, which is how should a leader deal with conflict between two employees? I think this is a very interesting question because we also have to consider the question, should we be dealing with conflict between two employees? We know that healthy debate and healthy conflict can get us to a better decision. And sometimes as leaders and managers, we want to jump in right away because we don't want to go through the yucky feelings and adverse emotions that come with conflict. But if we have the culture set up in a, uh, a productive manner, that conflict can be healthy and help us grow and get better. So we have to look again at that rubber band of tension to see, is this, is this conflict going to snap? If not, if you think the conflict is going to snap, then it's okay to, to help be a guide through that. Now, what we want to do is guide through the emotion, guide through the situation. We don't want to necessarily, unless there's a good justification or reason for it, be the um, taking sides. We want to be the ones that are helping uh, mediate and, and guide them through this. And again, it kind of comes back to that old adage of give a person a fish, teach a person to fish um, mentality. And we want to help our employees build a culture um, where they can engage in that conflict. So the way you should deal with this is objectively, is fairly with a, uh, a teaching mindset, a growth mindset, and um, and when is the appropriate time to come in is probably when the conflict um, becomes detrimental to the team and the result. And that the likelihood of folks to be able to get on the other side of this and get a better result is diminishing to the point of no returns. So that's, you know, you want to probably get in there before that point, obviously, and hopefully get it back on that trajectory towards that. So it's it's never an easy answer. It's always a uh, evaluate the situation and see what it takes to get you the outcomes that you're looking for. So the next question that comes to us is, in what ways can we encourage staff to be raw? Oh, that's a good one. I think we, again, go back to the research and we go back to the, um, the value add and how it helps people, how it helps our businesses, how it helps our customers and make the business case for it. Um, to break out of the old office habits and be real about who they are and how they feel about work. All right, so 
when when we do this though the old office habits we have to acknowledge how are they serving us because some of those old habits may have had a purpose and they have may have been serving us for some reason and just like any other habit there there is a time and a place for it um and the reason we were engaging in it and so we need to understand those things so that we can move forward and implement a different habit or decide if we want to keep that and why um and the who they are and how they feel about work, you know, I think that goes to, you know, what is the intent? What's the culture you're trying to build and why are you trying to build it in that way? Um, the last part of this question is how do you feel, how do you really break them into feeling like a part of the work family? And I think this comes to the idea that, you know, we have to define what is the family and, you know, what are the values of the family and what we want this family to be and everybody needs to buy into that. Um, the difference between work family and life family is oftentimes you're born into this and with the work family, in some context, you choose to be there um, and you can exit that. Uh, family, that's really hard to do in, in uh, real life. So everybody needs to have a say and an opportunity to wanting to be part of that and build it. Um, and defining the values and the principles that guide the family and then the belief systems and the structures and the hierarchies and all those things start to to work themselves into that that dynamic and then just like um real life is what happens when someone gets added to the family and in and on the on the other side of that what happens when somebody leaves the family or um you lose somebody in the family you know so all those other kind of complex uh, systems and structures also are going to be at work in there. So you've got to just, one thing you can't do is you can't just jump in there one day and say, okay, we're going to become a work family. You got to do the work that we're doing right now is learning and listening and understanding about um, teams and the dynamics and the science and the research and starting to figure out what parts of those do you want to take with you and educate and teach and, and influence and hopefully get other people motivated and excited about those elements and then start to build from there. So along those same lines of the work family, our next question asks us, how important is it that you agree with your company's culture? In terms of agreeing or disagreeing, I think we need to identify, is it if it's about the culture or is it about a particular um, policy. Now, remember, cultures can shift uh, with leadership, with um, what becomes socially acceptable, with new information. Um, there's a number of with new people, um, people coming or leaving the organization. So culture is this dynamic, um, sticky element of, of business and life. And it's also something that we can change. So I think a, a question that I would reflect on is, is if based on the culture as it currently stands today, what are the values and as a result, the impacts on how policies are developed, how people behave, you know, the actions of the organization, how people show up every day, and what is that impact on me? And um, I think that for a lot of people, myself included, company culture plays a big role in, um, in on us because we're there so much and we're participating in part of it. And if it's so counter, especially if it's at the belief or uh, the deeply held beliefs or the value system, those 
elements that are not going to be in congruence, that's going to become very challenging for, for an individual. Um, but before you make any shifts or changes, I think that you'd want to reflect on, is this a period of time? Is this, you know, what is the potential or likelihood of this changing? Can I play a role in this? Adam Grant's done some work on this. And, and essentially there's kind of a quadrant of decisions where you can kind of write it out. You can kind of be, you can decide to take action. You can, um, be silent through it, or you can exit the organization. So I think you'll want to kind of reflect on some of those things before you make any big time decisions. Speaking of big time decisions, uh, our next question asks, managing is a hard thing to do and everyone does it differently. Is there a streamlined way to teach managing or is it mostly taught through experience and what works for people? Well, I think the, I don't know if there's a streamlined way to it. Uh, I think you can get some building blocks and that's what we strive to do here through our AAA, um, our Applied Associates of Arts and Management as well as the uh, courses we're teaching here at the bachelor's level is to try to give you some frameworks to operate from that help you get success in terms of managing. Um, but I am a, a big believer in the 70-20-10 model, which says that most of your development, so your actual ability to kind of take these things and not just know about them or understand them cognitively, but to do something with them, that application level, 70 of 70 percent of that's coming from challenging on the job experience 20 20 percent of it's coming from coaching feedback um, and that development work and only about 10 percent comes from the classroom training element of this so to your second part of your question yes you're you're going to evolve and develop at your craft by getting in more repetitions that's like most things is practice um but unlike you know simulated practices in sports or, or in rehearsals is everything is live and has real impact. And so you're going to do some things well, and you're going to do some things not well. Um, in terms of the streamline, I think that's why this industry, you know, and I'm part of it of, of educating development, management, consulting, it's a big industry because it's not necessarily streamlined, but people are trying to figure out what is their niche and streamline that to make it easier. Now, I don't think people are doing that with any malintent. I think in fact, it's the quite opposite is that they want to make an impact and are trying to figure out how to package research and science. And um, in some cases, pseudoscience or just opinion in different ways to make it streamlined for folks. So I think that the acknowledgement that is hard and that there's not a one right way, but like everything else, you have the tools on the tool belt and what can you build with those tools and the materials of the people and the process and the systems that you have within an organization um, and continuing to become a master of how to use and leverage those tools um, to get outcomes and results that make the world better for uh, customers, for your team, for your people, for you, um, for your community, all those things. So going back to having a, a powerful why. So hopefully that one helps um, with the management side of it. Now, the next question along those lines is, how do some companies break out of bad organizational habits? Well, I think to an earlier question, when we come back to habits, let's first acknowledge what is a habit. A habit is that thing that you do consistently, routinely over and over and over again. Um, it's neither good nor bad. It is what it is. And the key to that is understanding um, and breaking it down on is it, you know, what is making us believe that it has a perception that it is bad. And if, 
mostly bad means that we're not getting some, we're getting an adverse result or it's having some detrimental impact to our business and uh, our organization. So the first part is acknowledging that and um, understanding it. The next part of that is to figure out what do we want to replace it with? And, um, you know, if I'm going to take it down to like an individual level, you know, we, we had a number of people talk, um, write about um, productivity and eating the frog. So if, for example, your current habit, not bad, but your current habit is to sleep in and, um, and you're not getting things done, you could replace that habit with getting up early and eating the frog. Um, and having that list. Uh, and so the, the new habit is the process and the system that you're putting in and replacing the, I'm not even gonna call it the bad habit. I'm gonna call it the old habit or the other habit. And the reason you're doing that is to get yourself a different result or a different outcome. The more conscientious you can be of that and mindful of it. And again, it comes back to EQ, having self-awareness around, around these things. That's what's gonna help you do that. Now, what makes that hard to do at scale is because um, not everybody will buy into that. Not everybody will understand that. And so while it's, it's almost easier to do at the individual level, it gets becomes more complex and more challenging at a higher level. But at some point, if you keep doing the same things over and over consistently um, and are committed to them and there's a powerful why behind it, a new habit will form. Our next question is... Um, got a little bit of complexity to it. So it's, it asks us, how do you handle a situation when you are the chosen person to manufacture the conflict by coming up with opposing arguments and the team can't come up with any effective rebuttals, making the cons outweigh the pros? And no one wants to abandon the idea, even though you know too many holes have been poked in the story. Do you give full committal to the idea anyway? even though you know it isn't strong? Or do you create more conflict, possibly the bad kind, by now aggressively disagreeing with the choice that the team still wants to stick with? All right, like, like I said, this is a complex one. So if your team is going to implement a process where somebody's gonna play, you know, in some worlds it's the devil's advocate, um, in others it's the, the counter argument or the person that's poking the holes into it, um, then don't do don't do that exercise just to do that exercise. If if it you have to approach it like a debate debate and figure out okay if there's enough and what I would maybe recommend is setting the parameters ahead of time. If we find that the cons outweigh the pros or there isn't an effective rebuttal for it, are we all open to shutting down this project or shutting down this policy or going in a di different direction? Um, that's going to be the key. If it's just lip service or we're just going through the exercise to go through the exercise, you're not really engaging anything healthy in terms of conflict other than staying at that surface level. So in this con in this uh, element is now you're at another level, you're at that individual level where you're um, forced to make a decision on how much do I want to continue to dis disagree or push my position in the interest of, of the organization or the customer or the outcome or the team or whatever it is. And risk, the risk you're taking on that is moving from healthy debate into unhealthy conflict. And I think at that level, you have to understand um, what's, your, what's your why and, and 
and be able to be assertive in that and pulling it back out from the situation and instead looking at it from the um, the other dysfunctions is, hey, we're here to get results. You know, we need to trust each other. We have a commitment. I'm I'm doing this not because of anything personal. I'm doing this to get us to a better outcome and redefining those things. So trying to get that back into a trajectory of um, outcomes and results and attention to detail. But at the same time, I think you, what you're really, what I'm really hearing in this question is that we are saying we're doing this to to because you know it's in the book and it's it's supposed to be a good thing, but we're not really practicing it. And that to me is the real the real challenge. There is let's not let's not kid ourselves with this. If we're going to do it, we gotta we gotta go all in on it. All right, so that's a wrap on our leading in organizations episode of this podcast, leading the way. Um, Hopefully you're enjoying these uh, shorter versions and, uh, and hitting on specific topics that and themes that you wrote about in your burning questions. And um, keep, keep tuning in, keep listening. There will be more coming out shortly.